content of this program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Hello and welcome to our June 2021 edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? A program from the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. This program is brought to you by the Friends of the North Carolina Library for the Blind and Physically Handicapped an organization of citizens, volunteers, and patrons, all interested in supporting the library and the services that it provides. The Friends Group was founded in 1989 and now has more than 300 members across North Carolina. If you'd like to join the Friends Group yourself, we'll have information on how to do that later in the program. This program is all about books with special emphasis on those available from the North Carolina Library for the Blind. The library has more than 86,000 titles in its collection. Books and magazines are available in large print, braille, and talking books as well. The library has more than 11,000 patrons across the state. And if you're not a patron but are interested in becoming one, I'll have more information at the end of this program. This month, we'll take a look at some of the most popular books checked out in the month of May at the North Carolina Library for the Blind. We're going to begin today with a book entitled The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner, and I'm going to be reading a review by Kayla Provencher. That review was written in March of 2021, and this is a a brand new book, a debut novel for this author. Here's the plot. In present day, a woman finds herself alone in London on what was meant to be a 10-year anniversary gift, wading through the murky water of the Thames and examining a curious blue vial. In 1791, a 12-year-old girl commits a murder and looks for a magical solution to rid her of the ghost that haunts her in its aftermath. Although these storylines are separated by nearly two centuries, they are inextricably wound together by burdens women share and perhaps by fate itself. In her debut novel, The Lost Apothecary, Sarah Penner brews a perfectly measured mixture of feminism, friendship, and vengeance. With spellbinding prose and meticulous plotting, she ferments the power of female alliances in a world built to give men every advantage at the expense of the women in their lives. Nestled into one of London's back alleys, disguised behind the back wall of an old grain room, is an apothecary shop. However, this particular apothecary is unlike any other. Hidden from the prying gaze of men, this apothecary serves women only. Penner splits her novel into chapters narrated by three characters as they venture out from the oppressive heel of the patriarchy. Nella, the apothecary, lives in the tragic wake of both her mother's death and her lover's betrayal. From the shadows of her hidden shop, she continues her mother's legacy by dispensing elixirs for fertility and salves to soothe monthly aches. But that's not all. Between flasks of potions meant to soothe and heal, Nella hides tinctures of deadly herbs to take care of other womanly ailments, unfaithful husbands, 
aggressive employers, duplicitous brothers. Eliza Fanning is the 12-year-old maidservant of one of Nella's clients. After running a sinister errand for her mistress, she becomes enraptured by Nella's world and insists on becoming a part of it as an apprentice. Young and naive, Eliza seeks to unburden herself of a ghost while coping with her burgeoning womanhood. Finally, Caroline Parswell travels to London after stumbling upon evidence of her husband's infidelity. A derailed historian who forfeited her dreams of Cambridge for the sake of her marriage, Caroline begins to rediscover her lost love upon finding an apothecary's vial in the mud of the Thames River. With the help of Gaynor, an archivist at the British Library, Caroline finds herself propelled to unearth the vial's hidden past and perhaps carve out a new future for herself in the process. If you're looking for likable male characters, or even male characters with a, a couple of redeeming qualities, look elsewhere, says the reviewer, from the controlling James to the lascivious Mr. Amwell to the conniving Frederick. Just about every man in this novel is painted as a caricature of the patriarchy against whom our heroines must rebel in order to be free. Written with the collective strength of women reclaiming their histories and their futures, The Lost Apothecary asks readers what they might be willing to do to live unencumbered, and if that might not include a sprinkle of crushed nux vomica or a spoonful of arsenic. The book is called The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. It's a debut novel, and I just read the review by Kaylor Provencher, which was written in March of this year. Let's go on to our next book now. It's called The Speed of Fallen Objects by Nancy Richardson Fisher. From the author of When Elephants Fly comes an exceptional new novel about falling down, risking everything, and embracing what makes us unique. Don't miss this compulsively readable novel after the most unlikely of heroes. Here is the plot. Danger Danny Danielle Warren is no stranger to falling. After losing an eye in a childhood accident, she had to relearn her perception of movement and space. Now Danny keeps her head down, studies hard, and works to fulfill everyone else's needs. She's certain that her mom's bitterness and her TV star father's absence are her fault. If only she were more, more athletic, charismatic, attractive life would be perfect. When her dad calls with an offer to join him to film the next episode of his popular survivalist show, Danny jumps at the chance to prove she's not the disappointment he left behind. Being on set with the hottest teen movie idol of the moment, Gus Price, should be the cherry on top. But when their small plane crashes in the Amazon and a terrible secret is revealed, Danny must face the truth about the parent she worships and falling for Gus, and find her own inner strength and worth to light the way home. 
The book is called The Speed of Falling Objects, and it's by Nancy Richardson Fisher. Now let's move on to our next book on the program here. This is one entitled When Crickets Cry, and it's by Charles Martin. And this one is also a a review. It was reviewed by Cindy Crosby on January 24th, way back in 2011. But it was one of the most popular books just this past month at the Library for the Blind. Charles Martin's maturation as a writer is clearly evinced through stronger prose and interesting characterizations in his third novel, When Crickets Cry. Here's the plot. Like his first two Southern-infused novels, The Dead Don't Dance and Wrapped in Rain, this is an emotional read. Little Annie Stevens is in the second grade, but she doesn't find a donor heart and a surgeon with a specific set of miracle skills to do the transplant work. She'll never see the third. To earn money for her transplant, she raises crickets for bait and runs a lemonade stand under the watchful eye of her Aunt Cindy, who is caring for her after her parents' death. While selling lemonade, Annie meets the shabby-looking Reese Mitch, Jonathan Reese Mitchell, who lives on Lake Burton just hours from Atlanta. He grieves the loss of his wife, Emma, his childhood sweetheart, whose dicey heart birthed his now-abandoned career. It doesn't take too many pages before the reader figures out just what his former career was and what will be required of him if Annie is to live. But does Reese have the nerve and desire to use his gifts and to learn to love again? When Crickets Cry is full of passages such as this. That afternoon, many of the pieces fell into place, and it struck me that doctors can help people get well, even prolong their lives, but they cannot heal them or make them whole. That's something else. The brief depiction of Reese's relationship with Dr. Ezra Trainer will give the reader goosebumps, and there are plenty of specific details about the heart that readers will find informative. Also, there's a gorgeous scene where Reese takes a late-night bath in the old claw-footed iron tub he and Emma used to share that crackles with poignancy and love. Many readers will appreciate such straightforward wisdom as when Reese says, All hearts stop, Annie. What matters is what you do with it when it's still pumping. Martin's good descriptions are occasionally marred by overwriting, as the reviewer of this book found in the prologue, and he sometimes succumbs to listing things rather than letting them be a natural part of the story. When it's not being run over by the jet ski crowd, the lake is home to migrating mallards, buffleheads, mergensers, and loons. Come springtime, cardinals, finch, and mockingbirds as well. These are great details, but they need more nuance. Also, flashback chapters might have been more clearly identified as such, rather than letting the reader begin each chapter not knowing whether they are in the past or the present. 
But these small problems do not detract from the sheer pleasure of this story. The characters are engaging from the unprepossessing termite, Termitus Cain is his name, to the haggard Cindy, who has echoes of the love interest in Wrapped in Rain. Rich details and Martin's uncanny ability to unfold just the right amount of information a little at a time keep the pages turning. You can't help but be struck at Martin's talent for telling a story well as this one draws to its inevitable conclusion with some very surprising twists. The book is called When Crickets Cry, and it's by... It is by Charles Martin, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this one, even though it's been around for a while. It was extremely popular this past month at the Library for the Blind. Now let's move on to our next book for this particular program. It's called My Brilliant Life by A. Ran Kim, and uh, according to this uh, write-up here, it's translated as Chi Young Kim. My Brilliant Life is a moving, earnest, and deeply felt exploration of a unique family and all its joys and its disappointments. An utter delight. So says Claire Lombardo, the New York Times best-selling author of The Most Fun We Ever Had. Now, here is the plot for My Brilliant Life. Despite being housebound due to an accelerated aging disorder, Ariam lives life to its fullest, vicariously through the stories of his parents. Conversations with little Grandpa Jang, his 60-year-old neighbor and best friend, and through the books he reads to visit the places he would otherwise never see. For several months, Ariam has been working on a manuscript, piecing together his parents' often embellished stories about his family and childhood. He hopes to present it on his birthday as a final gift to his mom and dad, their own falling-in-love story. As his 17th birthday approaches, Ariam moves into the long-term ward in the city hospital, bringing abrupt change to his daily life. From a new friend who might be more or less than she seems, to his loving parents who are definitely keeping something from him. There are also the challenges of the creeping darkness in his eyes and the loneliness of his shrinking connection to the world outside his window. Ariam meets these situations head-on and, with the support of family and friends, finds joy in even the most difficult times. Interweaving the past and present of a tight-knit family Aran Kim's My Brilliant Life evokes the full breadth of human emotions, happiness and sadness, pain and relief, emptiness and significance, masterfully exploring the power of empathy. Again, the book is called My Brilliant Life by Aran Kim. I'll spell that for you. It's A-E-R-A-N, Aran Kim, K-I-M. Now let's turn to a book by Manda Collins. It's called A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem. An intrepid female reporter matches wits with a serious, sexy detective and an award-winning author Manda Collins' fun and flirty historical rom-com. 
England, 1865. As one of England's most notorious newspaper columnists, Lady Catherine Bascom, believes knowledge is power, and she is determined to inform and educate the ladies of London on the nefarious and deadly criminals who are preying on the fairer sex. When her reporting leads to the arrest of a notorious killer, however, Catherine flees to a country house party to escape her newfound notoriety, only to witness a murder on her very first night. And when the lead detective accuses Catherine of inflaming rather than informing the public with her column, she vows to prove him wrong. Detective Inspector Andrew Eversham's refusal to compromise his investigations nearly cost him his own career, and he blames Catherine. To avoid bad publicity, his superiors are pressuring him to solve cases quickly rather than correctly. When he discovers she's the key witness in a new crime, he's determined to prevent the beautiful widow from once again wreaking havoc on his case. Yet, as Catherine proves surprisingly insightful, and Andrew impresses Catherine with his lethal competency, both are forced to admit the fire between them is more flirtatious than furious. But to explore the passion between them, they'll need to catch a killer. Sounds like a good one. It's called A Lady's Guide to Mischief and Mayhem by Manda Collins. And you're listening to Heard Any Good Books Lately, an exclusive production of the North Carolina Reading Service. I'm George Douglas. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you're enjoying the program. Now let's move on with another new book. This one is called Wild Rain, Women Who Dare by Beverly Jenkins. And this one was reviewed for National Public Radio by Denny Bryce. And he writes a historical fiction, by the way. Or rather, she writes historical fiction. Her first novel, Wild Women and the Blues, is coming this year. Wild Rain is the second novel in acclaimed historical romance author Beverly Jenkins' newest series, Women Who Dare. It's a cinematic adventure with snow-capped mountains, majestic forests, and plenty of Old West atmosphere, including some truly nasty, wrath-deserving villains. But it also provides a perspective on African-American life years after the end of the Civil War, when black people lived in communities not yet poisoned by Jim Crow laws. Spring Rain Lee is the sister of Dr. Colton Lee, hero of Jenkins' previous novel, Tempest, now married to Regan Carmichael, the heroine of that story. Spring is a match for anyone who attempts to get in her way or question her behavior. She wears leathers, can ride a horse with or without a saddle, and drinks whiskey. She's not a lady, according to her definition of womanhood, fiercely independent and capable of running her ranch alone. She is a woman who has experienced the darker side of life, but has come through those desperately hard times stronger and self-assured. And now her loves are simple, her land, her horses, her cabin, her chores, and her freedom. And after her close encounter with an extreme brutality, she handles those who might criticize or harm her with an uncompromising tongue 
or the Colt Peacemaker holstered at her side. Newspaperman, carpenter, and lawyer Garrett McRae, formerly enslaved, is on his way to town to interview Dr. Lee, Spring's brother. A man from back east, he isn't prepared for the harrowing journey to the Wyoming Territory in wintertime. When Spring finds him, he's lying in the middle of the road in a snowstorm with an injured leg and nearly frozen to death. From the beginning of the story, Spring's courage and ability to handle the weather, the horses, and the people around her leave little doubt that she is a woman to be reckoned with. So it doesn't take long for Garrett McRae to become fascinated by her drive, beauty, and quick tongue. However, he also becomes interested in the people in her community in and around the small town called Paradise. The author's note tells us that McRae is what romance writers call a cinnamon roll hero. He is sweet, kind, supportive, and almost too good for this world. Definitely the one we suspect will make the biggest sacrifices for his relationship. I adored him and chose to believe men like Garrett McRae exist anywhere heroes can be found, says the reviewer. I love a character with a great name that immediately gives an insight to the book's theme. Spring Rain Lee is such a name, courtesy of her Shoshone grandmother. The idea of passing seasons from the bitter cold, high snowdrifts, and white mountain peaks seemingly represents the changing pattern of the hero and heroine's relationship and the obstacles that they face. As the season shifts and the snow thaws, turning to mud, the dangers not only to the couple's growing attraction, but to their well-being become more apparent. The bad guys in this story are as richly drawn as the hero and heroine, and with Jenkins' tight plotting, reading on the edge of your seat is not just a notion. Beautifully written, Spring and Garrett's love affair is intimate, passionate, and sexy. But this isn't only a story of two people falling in love in the Old West. There are men who would harm Spring and Garrett. One, an unsavory businessman who will do anything to get what he wants from the people of Paradise, in particular Spring. And another, the vengeful son of the man she worked for in her youth. The bad guys in this story are richly drawn as the hero and heroine, and with Jenkins' tight plotting. Reading on the edge of your seat is not just a notion. Jenkins' novel also paints a lovely landscape of the Wyoming Territory, with resonant compassion for wildlife and nature. And, says the reviewer, I enjoyed meeting the townspeople of Paradise, particularly Odell and Dovey, two of their two of several unforgettable co-stars. Wild Rain will linger in your thoughts for its remarkably likable hero, spirited heroine, beautiful horses, scenery, adventure, and romance. It's the kind of excellent storytelling that keeps us coming back for more again and again from Beverly Jenkins. Again, the book is called Wild Rain, Women Who Dare by Beverly Jenkins, and this review was written by Denny Bryce, who herself is a novelist, and uh, her first novel was called Wild Women and the Blues, and it's actually coming out a little bit later this year. 
Our next book was written by Wiley Cash, and it's called A Land More Kind Than Home. Up beyond Asheville, near where Gunter Mountain falls into Tennessee, evil has come to preach in a house of worship where venomous snakes and other poisons are the sacraments. Cash's debut novel explores Faulkner O'Connor country, a place where folks endure a hard life by clinging to God's truths echoing from hard-scrabbled churches. With southern idiom as clear as crystal mountain air, Cash weaves the narrative from multiple threads. Jess Hall is the nine-year-old son of Ben and Julie and beloved younger brother of Gentle Stump, his mute autistic sibling. Clem Bearfield is a county sheriff, a man with a moral code as tough, weathered, and flexible as his gun belt. Adelaide Lyle, once a midwife, is now community matriarch of simple faith and solid conscience. Carson Chambliss is pastor of River Road Church of Christ. He has caught Stump spying, peering into the bedroom of his mother Julie, while she happened to be entertaining the amoral pastor. Well, Julie may have lapsed into carnal sin, but she is also a holy fool. Chambliss convinces Julie to bring Stump to church to be cured by the laying on of hands. There Stump suffers a terrible fate. Cash's characters are brilliant. Chambliss, scarred by its, his burns, is as remorseless as one of his rattlesnakes. Addie, loyal to the old ways, is still strong enough to pry the church's children away from snake-handling services. Bearfield is gentle, empathetic, and burdened by tragedy. Stump's brother Jess is appealingly rendered immature, confused and feeling responsible for and terrified by the evil he senses and sees around him. As lean and spare as a mountain ballad, Cash's novel resonates perfectly, so much so that it could easily have been expanded to epic proportions. It's an evocative work about love, fate, and redemption. It's called A Land More Kind Than Home by Wiley Cash. And we have time for one more brief summary. This is a book entitled The Captured Bride by Michelle Gripe. I'll spell that for you. I'm not sure about my pronunciation. G-R-I-E-P. Gripe or perhaps Greep. Mercy Litton, a scout with keen eyesight raised among the Mohawks, and Elias Dubois, a condemned traitor working both sides of the conflict, must join together to get a shipment of gold safely into British hands. A war-torn countryside is no place for a lady, but Mercy Lytton is a lady like none other. Raised amongst the Mohawks, she straddles two cultures, yet each are united in one cause, to defeat the French. Born with a rare gift of unusually keen eyesight, she is chosen as a scout to accompany a team of men on a dangerous mission. Yet it is not her life that is threatened, it is her heart. Condemned as a traitor, Elias Du Bois faces the gallows. At the last minute he has offered his freedom if he consents to accompany a stolen shipment of French gold to a nearby fort. But he is the one they stole it from in the first place. 
It turns out that the real thief is a beguiling woman. Mercy litten, for she steals his every waking thought. Can love survive divided loyalties in a backcountry wilderness? The book is called The Captured Bride by Michelle Gripe. And that's all for this month's edition of Heard Any Good Books Lately? I'm George Douglas. Hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like more information about how to become a patron of the North Carolina Library for the Blind, simply Google or search for the NC Library for the Blind or call toll-free 888-388-2460. You can also use those same numbers to find out more information about how to be a patron of the library. This program is intended for people who are blind and print impaired. Heard any good books lately is available on the website right after the program airs live.